Good morning, everybody. Good to see you. Uh, I know we got a lot of folks that are kind of out of town. Uh, just sing on. Can you hear me now? Uh, is that the AT&T commercial? No. One of those. Whatever it is. Uh, go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the book of Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Last week we talked about this time when Peter visited the ministry in Antioch. And he goes up there and they have this unique relationship together. And in this unique relationship, we see that there are Messianic Jews and Gentiles who are eating together. They're having table fellowship. This was a big deal. It's not the way we think of just a couple of people sitting down and having a meal today. It was a very big deal. And it was really the first of its kind because now the Gentiles are being reached out to. And we said last week that the law itself did not forbid Jews and Gentiles from eating together. But there was something that would have caused a problem, which seems to be happening here in the Galatian churches, and that is dietary laws. The Jews had things that they considered clean and unclean. But it seems that these, these Messianic Jews, they were putting aside these dietary laws in order to eat with Gentiles. Gentiles who didn't have a list of do's and don'ts as far as dietary types of things were concerned. We do know after the Jerusalem conference, at least they said, uh, you know, hey, at least drain the blood. <laughs> you know, at least drain the blood from your meat and don't strangle animals that you're going to eat as well. But other than that, they were still able to eat these things together. But this idea of a Jew eating a ham sandwich, if you will, with these Gentile believers, it was unheard of. It was scandalous. But they put aside these things for the sole purpose of unity. And even though we've said before that the Jews continued to live by these laws because that was who they were, we do find that they would find other things that trumped certain things. For example... We mentioned this last week, such as the circumcision on the eighth day. If it landed on the Sabbath day, which is supposed to be a day of rest, then the circumcision is to trump that Sabbath law. Here we see in this new community of Jews and Gentiles that they would be able to put aside these things that they normally ate in order to eat with their fellow Gentiles. And I imagine, although the text doesn't deal with it, and it's really not dealing with this aspect, but I imagine Gentiles, they would eat things that were kosher at times to eat with these, um, these Jews as well. But unfortunately, Peter, when he visited Antioch, he withdraws his fellowship from them. He's not eating at that table with them anymore. And this is huge. And, and he's having a moment of weakness. I don't think he's lost his faith. I don't believe he doesn't believe in the true gospel of Christ. But he's having a moment of weakness because there were some guys who showed up from Jerusalem who were with the group uh, with James, who's the brother of Christ. And evidently they looked down on this. So Paul, Peter rather, he moves away from that table fellowship. They all of a sudden have two tables. Barnabas gets caught up in it and goes with them. The other Jewish believers, they get caught up in it, and they go with them. It was a disaster, is what it was. So Paul has been rebuking Peter over this hypocrisy. 
And what we find the rest of this chapter that we're dealing with today is Paul continuing in his speech to Peter. And so let's begin in verse 15, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. Here he says, We are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, which we talked about in class, that really probably should be here the, um, the faith of Jesus Christ. And we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we might be justified by faith in Christ. And not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no human being will be justified. But while still seeking to be justified by Christ, we ourselves are also found to be sinners. Is Christ then promoter, a promoter of sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild those things that I tore down, I show myself to be a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. And in class, we really broke this thing down, and there's a lot of powerful things that we find uh, in this text. And, and so Peter is setting aside... Or he is uh, rejecting the grace of God by his actions. So the true law pointed and had always pointed to this trusting faith in God. To the trusting faith in the Messiah who was going to come into the world. This trusting faith is what saves us. And the faithfulness, the trusting faithfulness of Jesus in going to the cross on our behalf. That's what saves us, not by following these lists of laws in order to be made righteous before God. We cannot make ourselves righteous before God. We have to be made righteous, and that happens through Jesus. Now, there's a whole lot here that, that we're going to see um, that I believe is very important for our text uh, this morning. One is we are justified by God. That's the first thing I learned. We are justified by God. We are sinners. None of us are righteous. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. We can see this over and over again. And yet Paul says it is the righteous, sinless Son of God who justifies us. So he justifies us by his trusting faithfulness. By this act that happened, which was the cross of Jesus. And it's by that act that we are rescued from sin and death. It is God who makes us right, is what he's saying in the text. Not following a list of do's and don'ts. Because we're incapable of being righteous by doing those things. Our holiness comes by a trusting faithfulness in what Jesus has done for us. Now, it's easy for us to pick apart these legalistic Jews of the day. But we don't have many Jews in our auditorium, so we're going to pick on Gentile legalism. And I was one of those at one time, and I'll be honest with you, I think I'll always struggle with it. 
I think there's a human nature that we have to struggle with. In my early years of preaching, I used to uh, go to lectureships and I would hang out with my like-minded preacher friends. And we used to play this game. It was called, You Might Be a Liberal If. We were very mature. And so we would look at things and we would say, you know, anyone that we saw or anything that we saw that we thought was not in our way of thinking, we would say, you might be a liberal if, for example, if you carried an NIV Bible. Now, I know some of you are like, what? What are you talking about? Well, you just weren't raised where I was raised. And, and that was made a test of fellowship. Uh, and believe it or not, there are still some congregations who will say, you can't use anything except this particular translation. I was at a congregation, they banned all other translations except for two, and that was it. And so we had our own set of laws, who's in and who's out. And like Peter, we withdrew ourselves from those who did not think like we thought. Or from those that even if we like them, that other people might think that we're associated with them in any way. Now the years have changed. Um, a couple of years ago, uh, maybe a little more than a couple of years ago, I was uninvited to a speaking event. And it was a conservative lectureship in nature, and I knew that. Uh, I'd spoken there several years, um, and always did. they always wanted me to come in and talk about personalities. I knew their legalistic leanings for some of them, especially some of those who are in the leadership position, but I, but I never turned them down. I never made that really a test of fellowship, and I still don't make that a test of fellowship, uh, even today. I enjoyed going. There are some good folks who would go to this and still go to this thing, but I never allowed my personality classes to become a bashing of the directors and those who may be teaching on certain subjects that I would have disagreed with. I just was there to try to help people learn about each other and to help them get along a little bit in understanding these personalities. Well, one day the director, one of the directors, he calls me, there's four of them. One of the directors called me and he said um, that there's a problem. And he said, there's something that, has, that was on my Facebook page. Well, it was something that was posted there. I didn't post it there, but somebody tagged me in. Those of you who aren't as hip as I am, you don't get the lingo. But, uh, but I was tagged into this thing. And, and you remember, some, most of you remember what it is. This was the time, a few years ago, we went over to Hartman Road Church of Christ. Y'all remember this? We had a singing one Sunday afternoon. And they had three guys who have microphones, and they do this leading, and they asked me to come up and be that fourth guy on the, on the microphone. And we all were singing together and just had this nice little afternoon singing. Well, somebody uh, videoed it, and then they posted it on Facebook, and they posted me in it, not in a malicious way. So the director says, you know, we saw this, and we think this is wrong. I didn't argue with them. Fact of the matter is, it's their conference. They can do with it whatever they want. They can invite and they can uninvite whoever they want to do that with. The biggest problem I had was in thinking that what I had done was sinful. And the main reason is because I have just as much scripture in here to have one song leader up here on a microphone than I do to have four people on microphones and leading in congregational singing. But that's the way it is. Legalism divides the body of Christ. It always has. And every day, I'm thankful that I am not judged by my brothers and sisters in Christ. And you should be glad I'm not your judge too. You wouldn't want that. 
I am thankful that I am saved by what God has done for me and not what I have done or didn't do. I'm glad that I am saved by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ to go to the cross rather than the strength of my own faith at times. Folks, we're not saved because we show up every Sunday. We're not saved because we partake of the Lord's Supper every Sunday. We're not saved because we sing a cappella music. We're not saved because we have Church of Christ on our signs. We're not even saved because we're baptized. While that's important, the water itself is not what saves us. Jesus saves us. Until we understand that and really get that concept, we're just we're going to fail. It is the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. Well, that just means you're saying, well, we can go out and do whatever we want. Really? Well, maybe we ought to get to the second point. And that is we are crucified with Christ. We talked about this in class. Paul speaks of his own experiences in this new creation that has been formed with Jewish and Gentile believers. He enters into this union with the Messiah's death. And in such a way, he says, it is no longer I who live. I'm not living to my old life the way I have been as a sinner. He says, I now live for Christ. Let me share something that I think will help you take it a little bit further as far as really the mentality and the thinking that goes behind this stuff. And also to show you that this is not an anti-Jewish uh, you know, book here. This is very much the... the the law and, and the prophets and all those always pointed to the things that help us to understand what things are. And one of the ways is the Hebrew language. A lot of people don't know this, but I, I really believe it is a divinely ordained alphabet. And that alphabet helps us to understand what those words mean. Okay? So the word salvation, its root word is save. And it's got this cute little word that you find here. Now, understand, just to give you a little bit of Hebrew, because I know all of you want to read Hebrew after you leave here. And that is that they read from right to left and not left to right. All right? So, we find here the Yod, the Shin, and the Ayin. That makes up the word save. You say, well, what does that all mean to us? It doesn't really mean a whole lot to us until we really get into its primitive understanding. Now, those of you who've got your ARC notebooks... Uh, I put in your growing deeper. You've got the completed tablet. I blew this up a little bit just so that um, hopefully everyone will be able to see. But when we look at this on its primitive form, we see that the yod looked, it was like a hand, that it was extended. And there's a reason, because it meant to work. It meant action, to throw. The shin was meant to look like two front teeth. And the reason it, it meant to chew, to consume, even to destroy. So we have the iron, and it looks like an eye, and it means to watch, to look, and that was its meaning. So you may be thinking, well, so what? Well, to these early observant Hebrews of the law, the order of those letters helped to form their understanding. So to be saved, there was a work, there was an action that took place. There was a rescue. Then, they were the thing in which they were rescued from, it was to be, there was to be the destruction of that thing that they were rescued from. And so, we think about our Galatians text. We have been rescued 
from this present evil world. That has been destroyed. That has been consumed. But then, the latter part of the ayan is to cast your eyes on the thing that rescued you. Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God. Save means I have been rescued from something. And what I have been rescued from, it has been consumed, it has been destroyed. And now I keep my eye on the thing, the one who has rescued me. That is salvation. Is that not the Galatians text? And get this, our English translation of the word Jesus, it comes from the transliteration of the Hebrew word Yeshua. And it means Jesus. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the one who rescues us and destroys this domain of evil and these things that have had control of our lives. And now we look to Jesus as the one who saves us. If I have re received the gospel of Christ, what that means, what Paul says here, is that Jesus lives in me. Isn't that cool? Jesus lives in me. Now that's more than saying I have been forgiven. And, and what's interesting about the book of Galatians is that never Paul does he mention that we have been forgiven. Now it doesn't mean Paul doesn't believe that. We can show other writings of his. But we never find forgiveness. Here's what we do find. Transformation. What we find is Jesus living in me brings about a transformation in how I live. To Paul's amazement, he finds himself as an instrument of God's love and grace. He finds himself as an agent of Christ's mission to the Gentiles, the very people that he looked at at one time and he believed they were unclean dogs. And now he's the one who is being taken the gospel to them, and he's, he's sitting at, at tables with them. By his trusting faithfulness in Jesus, Paul left behind the securities that he felt in following law for his justification. And he went back to what the true law was all about, which is a trusting faithfulness in God that it has never been about what we can do. It's about God's righteousness. When we leave behind our legalistic systems, we begin to demonstrate the gospel of Christ in our lives. In Christ, we can do the work of God in ways that we never thought would be imagined. We can begin to be involved in the work of God in ways that, that we, many people look at as disgusting, maybe even politically incorrect that we can take an illegal immigrant in our country from a third world country and we can bring to them the gospel of Jesus Christ and just not fight about who gets in and who gets out of our country. Let me tell you something. Let the politics handle that. My job in the kingdom of Christ is simply to bring the gospel of Jesus. You can reach out to the people that we often see as unclean, that, that people in our society would say, well, listen, you don't need to have anything to do with them. I'm talking about the outcasts of our society. I'm talking about the addicts of our society. 
and we take to them the gospel of Jesus. You can reach out to these folks because you know your story in Jesus Christ and you know that Jesus now lives in you and by the power of the Spirit of God in your life there is transformation that just begins not completed but it has begun as we continue to keep our eyes on the one who saved us from this present evil world you want to know why churches are dying it's because we become so selfish with ourselves and we fail to see those who are hurting right outside of our walls we can get so focused on our traditions and our styles that we never see the hurting outside of our walls we can get into competition over whose group is right and whose group is wrong and which one is better and which one is not as good and we fail to see the people who just need Jesus. Paul was about discipleship. Listen, you, you want to know what the Vine Project's all about. I mean, we're, we're still in a process and, of studying and praying and discussing with each other. And, and we've just finished phase one. But listen, you want to know what it is, bottom line? It's about discipleship. It's the formation of a new community that does not allow for cultural, ethnic, or even perfect doctrine to keep them from sitting at separate tables. Our relationship to God depends fundamentally on the grace of Christ. The question is, what is your story? We ask this every week because it's so important that you understand your story. Your story of how you have been rescued from this present evil world. Because until you do, you're not going to keep your eyes on Jesus. But ask yourself this question. Do you share your story? Paul did. And the reason Paul did is not because he felt like this is a work that he has to accomplish he does it because Christ lives in him. Listen, discipleship, taking people the gospel, is not about sitting back and waiting for people to come to us in some kind of approachable moment. Christ lives in us, therefore we take Christ everywhere we go. And everyone that we encounter. Do some introspection. Really ask yourself, what is it that the Spirit of God may be trying to say to you right now? At this very moment, throughout this entire week, what is that introspection? If all you think about is yourself and all that you like and what you want and what you desire, you just haven't gotten it yet. And listen, if you're not a child of God, Paul says, why in the world would you want to live by a system based on your own goodness? Because it didn't save the Jews who were given God's holy laws, but they couldn't do it. We have to have Jesus. 
He's the one that has to save us, and we have to recognize He's the one who rescues us. He's the one who will always rescue us, not by doing these good works. But it's not that good works aren't important. It's just that's not driving us to salvation. It's the fact that I am rescued. That Christ is living in me. That I want to live for Him in every way possible that I can. Knowing that I'll never do it to its completion, but I know that Jesus is with me. And I want to share that message with as many people as I can as possible that is drowning in our world. If we can help you in any way this morning, whether it be by prayer, whether someone here is ready to be baptized, whether you want to talk about this faithfulness of Christ, you want to learn more about him, please, please let us know. And if we can pray for you now, if we can help you right now, come as together we stand and as we sing.